Welcome to Vegan Boss Radio, where we will be talking about all things related to business, health, and lifestyle. We connect with passionate vegans from around the world so they can share their stories, challenges, and what it's like to navigate being vegan in a non-vegan world. everyone. Welcome to episode 22 of Vegan Boss Radio. My name is Shauna. And I'm Megan. And today we are chatting with the team leader and journalist for the vegan media and parenting brand called Raise Vegan. So we have Emily Court with us today. So thanks for being here, Emily. You're very welcome. It's no problem at all. Great. Um, so how did you get into working for Raise Vegan? Okay, so <laughs> it's a bit of a long story, but I am, I think I'm kind of an animal's first vegan. I, my choice to change my lifestyle was born from compassion a little over five years ago. I think that once I was exposed to the truth about what happens to animals behind closed doors, it was just something that I realized I had a choice about whether or not I was a willing accomplice to. Um, so yeah, I decided to make a change in lifestyle and I've been driven by that since. Of course, um, you know, the environment has a play in that as well and uh, human rights and the treatment of humans within our uh, food systems are definitely very relevant topics to me as well. But yeah, that's how I went vegan and then I got into advocacy uh, on a non-professional basis for basically right out the gate when I went vegan and I did that for two or three years and then eventually I ended up writing for plant-based news, which is where I got my start. And then um, my career kind of changed and evolved and I switched roles a few times and then I ended up with uh, Raised Vegan, where I am now. And with Raised Vegan, I act as a journalist, a team leader, and I also um, manage another a number of other day-to-day elements of our brand. But um, journalism and editing as well as team leading are my predominant roles. Wow, that would be so interesting um just I bet you get to research a lot of different topics are they all like to do with parenting and raising kids as vegans so we as a media brand kind of cover anything related to veganism parenting or veganism and parenting right okay so uh especially our, our magazine is more specifically family focused but our website does allow us to branch out more into generally vegan things which may be interest of interest to parents and families but may be of interest in to the common public or the general public or plant-based eaters or vegans that don't have enough families. Okay. Yeah. Do you have um, specific topics that you personally like to report on? Ooh, uh, generally anything to do um, with the environment and kind of systemic injustice is sort of my area of interest and also expertise, even in my undergrad, which had nothing to do with veganism, mm-hmm. I focused on. Um, you know, cultural or gender-based discrimination or systemic issues. And those things have always been of interest to me and still are kind of the things I'm most passionate about writing. Although I write about a lot of other stuff as well. Interesting. Um, With everything going on right now, like with the coronavirus, this is our first episode, by the way, since the quarantine started. Um, So we're actually recording this right now over Skype, even though we're all in the same city. Um, Has Ray's Vegan or um, yourself, have you written any opinion pieces yet just about um, like what you think of everything that has happened in the last few weeks with the virus 
and has it impacted your business and the brand? Okay, so I haven't had where I haven't chosen to write any opinion pieces yet, although I do have a lot of opinions about everything as a rule. But um, I haven't gone there, although some ideas have been kind of stirring. But I think now is the time when we have to be probably the most cautious with our opinions that we ever have had to be as a brand with what's happening, because I think what's happening right now is um, unprecedented. In terms of how it's hit our brand. I mean, we're lucky in the fact that we are digital media. So um, many of us are still working from home, which is great. And there is, of course, um, lots to be done. And we are working hard to try to provide content and material to our audience that's going to be valuable to them and help them um, get through this time, for sure, which is posing okay. unique challenges for all of us. Do you have any thoughts about um, some of the response from the vegan community in regards to the pandemic? So that's definitely multifold because there have been a lot of different responses. So first off, what we really have to look at, I think, is how wonderfully, let's start with the positive, a lot of people have band together and uh, vegan organizations, brands and individuals have worked to support their communities, uh, help reinforce food justice and put their money where their mouth is and their effort and time, even you know, for, for the vegan community, but for their communities at large. Uh, you'll see a lot of examples of that in Worthing, England. There's been a new all-vegan food bank opened up. Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, Lindley Danielle of Your Vegan Satanist has actually started a program with community donations where she is making and um, handing out free meals to her community, vegan or otherwise, but they are all plant-based meals. Mm -hmm. uh, Mercy for Animals in New York gave away a whack of meals. I think it was 2000 last weekend, partnered with other organizations and local businesses in some of New York's most uh, vulnerable neighborhoods. And then Sophie's Kitchen, a vegan seafood brand, which specializes in vegan tuna, gave away 3,000 cases, I want to say, of one of its new products, which hasn't even hit shelves yet, to surrounding food banks. So there's a lot of vegan organizations and individuals doing a lot to um, kind of practice what they preach. I mean, this is really where we're being faced with. We want everybody to have access to healthy, nutrient-dense food, mm -hmm. and we don't want you know plant-based eating to be something just for the privileged and really having the opportunity to spread this kind of kindness, compassion, that is so central to our movement is amazing. And seeing the way that people are stepping up to the plate to do that is really heartwarming, I think. Yeah, I had no idea that all of that was going on. Um, here in Vancouver, I have seen some uh, people in like the Vancouver vegan community trying to organize um, like food delivery or supplies deliveries for the residents of the downtown east side so i really um was happy to see that yeah that's actually my neighborhood and oh, okay. it is essential right now there's a yeah. lot a lot happening obviously uh yeah. especially with the large population of addicted people here who are people who are either um, suffering from addiction or are homeless and are very exposed to the elements, very exposed to the risk of contracting COVID-19 and may or may not have the resources or help that they need, um, given that something happens to them. So seeing those kinds of initiatives is crucial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Do you think that people like non-vegans are making any sort of connection right now that a lot of the outbreaks are directly related to animal agriculture, how we treat animals, how we raise animals for food? Um, Do you find that that's kind of like the elephant in the room a lot of times or do you think that's not even like on people's radar? I think it is sort of the elephant in the room. I think that some people are vaguely aware of it but don't necessarily want to confront it or have a lot of kind of ifs, ands, or buts attached to it. I think that we see a lot of the narrative around this within the vegan community and I do think that that's important but we need to be, I think, more tactful than ever in the way we talk about things and remain as compassionate or as we possibly can be mm-hmm. to our fellow humans, especially in the face of so much suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, is with the disease, we know that with COVID-19, we know that it's a zoonotic virus. So it did transfer from animals to humans. We're not 100% sure how that has happened yet. So um, a recent discovery in China is that there are uh, related strains to COVID-19 that have been found in the pangolin, an animal that's scaled sort of similar to an anteater, which a lot of people have theorized as the source of the virus. And they have found related strains, but nothing has conclusively tied the two things. Um, And I think it's important for us to say that, hey, this is an animal-borne illness. And a lot of the things we come up against, whether it's these pandemic or epidemic issues, or even things like salmonella or E. coli, which kind of come up as Mm -hmm. one-offs around the world consistently still, I actually almost died from salmonella when I was a baby, are like pointing those things out is great. And, And on a surface level, it is good, but we have to be careful about the kind of language we use. I've seen some members of certain communities sort of implying that this is like the reckoning. And that's kind of a scary narrative to bring up when we're looking at a situation that's killing people's parents and grandparents. And even in some cases, children are dying now. And it's just a really, really sensitive, sensitive topic. So some narrative around it is good, but I think it's definitely not the time to kind of be jamming it down people's throats because um, a really wise woman once said to me, people don't want to hear about the animals the best of times. So, which is a sad reality, but something we have to handle really delicately as a community in the face of what people see as much more important human suffering. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. Uh, I've seen a lot of like blame and focus be put on like the wet markets in China and I just think that people don't realize that our factory farming here in North America is also a breeding ground for these types of new uh, viruses and diseases and it's just anytime you have like crowded unsanitary conditions with animals involved you can get like these viruses mutating and then jumping to humans so I see like unfortunately um what seems like very racist kind of remarks um against like the cultures that do have wet markets and like how do we go about like telling other people to say oh stop eating this type of animal or stop 
eating that type of animal and stop having them in like these terrible like wet market conditions where like all types of species are in cages like crammed and like on top of each other when like we are (laughs) essentially doing the same thing here yeah maybe it's like one type of animal all crammed together but I mean the 1918 Spanish flu is um traced back to birds and then we have like swine flus um from like pig farms and yeah it can happen like regardless of the farm I think yeah and we I, I especially when you're you're talking about somebody who's who's willfully participating in the animal agriculture industry here and they start to make these comments about the animals that cultures such as China choose to mm-hmm. ingest based on imagine differences between the mm-hmm. animals which are yeah. really arbitrary at the end of the day uh you are walking a line of bigotry of racism of mm-hmm. cultural bias that is dangerous and scary and highly problematic mm-hmm. and i think as long as we continue to eat animals to point a finger and say they are mm-hmm. and that's problematic because it is x animal and it caused this mm-hmm. disease well we breed the animals that cause you know that have for decades, I don't even know how long, well over decades, caused salmonella, E. coli, etc. all of these foodborne diseases that make us really sick, not to mention heart disease, Mm -hmm. type 2 diabetes. Yeah. (laughs) The list goes on. Um, But yeah, that's definitely wildly problematic, pointing a finger to one culture and saying their consumption of animals is the problem. I totally agree. And that's actually, we haven't even put out any opinion pieces yet. Like we haven't posted to the Vegan Boss Radio social media yet, just because we aren't sure what we want to say. And I'm actually really glad that we're finally being able to talk about this and record this episode, because maybe, you know, maybe the first thing we say is just to go listen to this latest episode to hear just like a few different thoughts on the topic, because you know, it is one of those things that you don't want to be totally silent about because it is important to talk about like veganism and how it's all related at this time. But like you said, you want to choose your words really wisely and also not push people even further away from veganism and like fall into that stereotype of just like the insensitive, like people hating vegans. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel you on all of that. And, um, yeah, the cultural part too. It's it definitely an interesting time right now to hear everyone's thoughts, um, and just how, like how we're handling it. I think we're confronted again with the imagined distinction, um, most of humanity creates between domesticated and wild animals, mm-hmm. um, which tends to be highly problematic. So a lot of people are pointing at the fact that, um, other cultures consume wild animals mm-hmm. while ours are, you know, domesticated, um, while not really accounting for the fact that all of them, all of them have the ability to feel, suffer, create mm-hmm. disease, you know? So yeah, it's, it's something that comes up, I think, consistently throughout the vegan movement and mm-hmm. we're seeing it in our face or throughout yeah. history and we're seeing it in yeah. our face again is that, that um, imagined distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, arbitrary distinctions between species speciesism at the end of yeah this. yeah and I'm, I really hope that people are going to naturally come to this conclusion on their own especially given all of this extra free time that everyone has of being self-isolated time to think time to reflect time to really look at just our behavior as a species 
like I'm seeing lots of memes being like, it feels like mother nature just sent us to our room to think about what we've all done. And I hope that one of those things is hmm, like, I wonder how our treatment of animals and like how we look at food and our choices can improve after this in a way that could maybe prevent something like this from happening. So I do hope that there is a push in like the vegan community to help bring that awareness. But I am hoping too that it is something that's just going to naturally occur to people during this time of reflection. Yeah, I think everyone, hopefully everyone is going to come out a lot more aware of foodborne illnesses in general. But I do worry that a lot of people are going to make the distinction that like those things don't originate here. Yeah. When, <laughs> in yeah. fact, we do. But hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully a lot of things yeah. change. Um, and at least this is one area in which we can kind of improve our food system. Not that I think animal consumption is the only place yeah. where that's necessary. But yeah. yeah. And like one more like contrast to add to that is like the domesticated animals <laughs> in the factory farms here are breeding grounds for antibiotic resistant bacteria, which maybe like they wouldn't have that in like the wild animal like Mm -hmm. um the wet markets so that's something that's like not only new viruses can come out of our factory farms but like the antibiotic resistant uh bacteria can as well yeah we're absolutely creating a breeding grounds for superbugs Mm -hmm. and the science has shown that for a long time pumping these animals full of antibiotics and then eating them yeah it's so problematic in and of itself yeah. and that's you know the antibiotics we pump them full of is one of the reasons why we i would theorize i'm not a scientist first and foremost yeah. but one of the reasons why we are are see a limit in the foodborne diseases that we get right yeah because we have those that kind of food system but yeah 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 um I have uh, read articles that um like meet sales have been declining but then you see all of like uh the stuff on social media where people like go into the supermarket it's like oh everything was bought out except for the vegan stuff so I don't know like what to believe like are people like eating less meat or like making the connection more about like how we treat animals and then like the outcomes that can come from that so interesting (laughs) yeah I think it depends on whether you're looking at things like from a global perspective or an individual perspective I think we've all seen some of the people hoarding it on a individual level and I've seen people making comments like um like that eating animals is a basic need or a necessity to Mm -hmm. live Uh, my existence would tend to suggest otherwise (laughs) but uh on a large scale, we are seeing a decline in select industries. So in India, we're seeing a decline in the poultry industry sparked by a theory, a rumor, I would say, that uh, the poultry industry had um, a connection to the origin of COVID-19, which there's no evidence to support. Although we do know it's a zoonotic disease, there's no evidence actually linking, Mm -hmm. as far as I know, linking poultry and COVID-19. And then we're seeing a plummet in the beef industry which actually means that a number of animals recently scheduled to be sent to slaughter were not. They've been held back to try to accommodate for um, changes in the market. And uh, lobster industry as well. I read today, well, I wrote today, that normally you're seeing 
as many as five to seven chartered flights going from Nova Scotia, Canada to China and South Korea bringing lobster this time of year, particularly in China because we're around the Chinese New Year. And that's kind of another thing that we have to look at entirely because not only are we looking at the animal agriculture industry there, but we're looking at five to seven chartered flights a week. What is that doing to our environment? And, mm-hmm. and we're seeing in this situation too, um, how not flying is impacting our environment and air quality, which is kind of a confronting thing for all of us. Like we can sit and, sit and talk about veganism until we're blue in the face, but we also need to be talking about all of these other issues as well. But yeah, end of the day, animal agriculture industry is being, I think on a large scale, very affected, even though on a you know individual city by city supply and demand within the grocery store scale, mm-hmm. you're seeing something a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know how many people in like the general public are aware that like this virus and others come from raising animals to eat. Um, and yeah, it's just going to be interesting how we can like navigate the conversation while being sensitive that like people are dying in this uh, from this virus and it's a very like scary time for a lot of people but like I'm hoping just overall it does raise awareness about um, this sort of these sort of issues that come hand in hand with animal agriculture and like you said too like the other environmental impacts just mm-hmm. that humans are having on the planet and I think it's really interesting to see like um all like what we're defining as like essential work versus non-essential work and just how much work um and like that we're putting out there that really isn't necessary that's almost just like Mm -hmm. running on the hamster wheel like just like people staying busy for the sake of keeping the whole job system going no matter how much it hurts the planet um, so it is kind of an interesting time, like despite all the negativity and heartbreak that's been happening, mm-hmm. is seeing how this could potentially be healing um, our environments in a lot of ways. And maybe we need to reevaluate just what's more important, like productivity and our obsession with work or finally slowing down and spending more time with our kids and you know resting and creating and just doing things um that really we never really had time for before absolutely i think it will be i'm by no means an economist but i think it'll be interesting to see how the blow um to our economies on like a global scale affects our industries and what services we prioritize and um but at the same time of course that's really scary because a lot of people are losing their jobs (laughs) But um, it will definitely come with some kind of reprioritization. How that will unfold, we'll have to see, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. It's kind of like a big reset button has been hit in terms of um, the economy and everything. Um, I was reading something interesting because, Megan, you brought up, like, essential work, um, Mm -hmm. what we're realizing is essential. And, like, even though the borders are uh, like closed right now, there's still um, Mexican uh, farm workers that are getting visas to go 
pick food on the farms in the U.S. to keep our food supply going. Mm. Um, so just like, yeah, I just have so much. I'm so grateful for like the grocery store workers and the delivery drivers and just like everyone that is keeping like the food system going right now. Yeah, all the essential workers, like they should be getting paid so much more. Like everyone who is an essential mm-hmm. worker right now, like nobody should be having to worry about living in poverty. Like they should all be getting much more than a living wage. Um, and hopefully this is something that we can really start to value a lot of that work that maybe wasn't valued so much before this. So that's another positive. Yeah, I think we're definitely put in a position where, and I, I've i had this kind of been confronted with these feelings many times in my life, but never to this scale mm-hmm. where we have to be so, so, so grateful for the resources we have available to us. Um, those of us who can afford groceries that we can, um, you know, having the medical care that we have, a lot of individuals living in other countries are not receiving the same kinds of um, results or like same kinds of support that we are. And, you know, yesterday I poured myself a glass of water and I was like, wow, that's really something that I can just get that from my tap. Yeah. Drink half of it, pour the rest down the drain when somebody would, you know, there's somebody out there who'd who'd kill for this. And like, there's never been a time I think where we are as um, confronted with our, our privilege and, um, Mm -hmm should be as willing to embrace gratitude as we are now as Canadians and as members of developed nations. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when you see the memes going around, like COVID-19 wouldn't happen in a vegan world and all of those um, that are like focusing on like how like SARS and MERS and Ebola and all of these um, come from eating animals. Do you think that is, helping the cause or is it doing more harm i think that more diplomacy would be better i when i came out of the gates as a vegan like five and a half years ago now i would have been that person i would have been like look what's happening now you know but um i've recovered from that crappy attitude fortunately (laughs) and realized that you know you can be validated in your outrage at certain things like the way that we treat animals and that eating animals is making people so sick And you can be as validated as you want in getting emotional or or being almost vindictive in your speech about it. But it doesn't matter how valid your feelings are if it's not effective and you're not serving the animals or your community or other people who are supposed to be compassionate to as well. If we have a kind of vitriolic, holier-than-thou rhetoric around it. And I think another thing that kind of brings up the topic of vegan absolutism Like I think, you know, adapting a plant-based diet, trying to eat locally or trying to eat in a way that's more environmentally friendly is a great thing we can do. Um, But I think there's a very dangerous place that people can go when they think, a lot of people mistakenly think that when they go vegan, they can wash their hands of any kind of responsibility for destruction of the environment or harm of other people. Like I'm a staunch advocate against the expression cruelty-free because I don't really think that it exists. And um there are so many other ways that people we are destructive as individuals and being vegan doesn't absolve us of that and I think it's we have to be so careful about acting like it does because that will push people it's a repellent it will push people away faster than anything else I think yeah 
What do you think is an effective way to um, help people sort of connect the dots between this issue? I try to lean in towards the direction of relay the facts. Like there have okay. been a few times since this has happened when I've been talking to somebody, I've been like, well, it's a zoonotic disease. Like it is animal born. And then yeah. I let them take that information and do what they want with it. Right. Yeah. I try to just relay the facts, try not to um, judge or be emotionally driven when it comes to the things that I say and let people draw their own conclusions and make their own decisions. Um, that said, I'm, you know, not the world's leading advocacy expert. That's just what I've garnered. And I'm trying to do the best that I can without alienating my fellow people or marginalizing the suffering that's happening to people because of what's happening right now. Right. So relay the facts and lead by example would be my, um, would be my, my notion and try Mm -hmm. to do the best that you can. Not that any of us are, you know, batting a hundred right now. Is that the expression? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sport. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I historically have written a lot of opinion pieces taking uh, critical looks at at methods of advocacy and the language that we use around veganism and um, even veganism as a whole and the definition of it, which is a hotly disputed thing, is another really it's another really favored topic of mine. But I do like to challenge problematic notions within the movement while still, you know, remaining as diplomatic as I can towards other vegans and non-vegans alike. But yeah, yeah, it's been a wide variety of things over the years because I've gone from, you know, general plant-based and vegan journalism into more of the parenting sphere over time. And there was a while where I was writing a lot of opinion pieces. And Mm -hmm. now my job is actually less writing dominant, but I'm still passionate about the same kind of topics. Um, What are your thoughts sort of about um, how veganism has been breaking into the mainstream or in these past couple of years? Well, (laughs) uh, it's it's amazing to see. I think there's a big kind of conflict within the vegan movement over like, you know, all of these big brands are capitalizing off of people's desire not to eat animals. It's like, yeah, they are. But things are becoming, you know, more widely accessible, Mm -hmm. more convenient Mm -hmm. for people, which is probably a good thing. I think it's easier to try to change the system step by step than it is to abolish it as a whole. So, Mm -hmm. you know, where people object to something like KFC debuting a vegan burger, I'm like, well, if it gets, if it gets, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the UK to try a vegan burger instead of eating an animal pump full of antibiotics and all of these other, you know, problematic things associated with animal consumption, then great. Like it's a step in the right direction. I think optimism is a big thing to kind of hold on to here because we're we're up against it really like up (laughs) with the way that money makes the world go around and everything. But yeah, it's been great to see the way that things have spread and, and the growth has certainly been absolutely explosive. And I've watched that really closely, especially over the last three years within working in journalism. I've watched, you know, the brands pop out with new things. And and when I went vegan five years ago, the idea of Tim Hortons, Subway, KFC, McDonald's, um, Burger King, A&W all offering one, if not more vegan options would have been imperceivable to me. Mm-hmm. I'm from the East Coast and there it was still very much a fringe movement. And I would come to Vancouver because my sister lived here and I was like, what? There's a <laughs> vegan world here already. It's amazing. Yeah. We're like a two vegan restaurant town in Halifax. So it's... Um, yeah. It's, it's been interesting to see the way that it's spread. 
And, you know, then the, Vancouver, I would consider like the Canadian epicenter of veganism. And then you go somewhere like London, where it's really, really explosive. And it's an amazing thing to see. I was lucky to attend the um, Animal Rights March, official Animal Rights March there, kind of hosted and organized by Earthling Ed or Ed Winters and Surge Activism. Um, mm-hmm. There were 10,000 people in attendance marching through London streets. Wow. And that was uh, one of the greatest days of my life. It was such a heartening experience to see the way that the the movement is growing and to see kind of the way people responded to us. Because I think there's strength in numbers and eventually people are going to say, hey, maybe if there's 10, 20, 30,000 people out here all saying, what if we didn't do this to animals? Maybe they're on to something, right? So, yeah. Did you find that with like leading by example, like in your choice to go vegan and even just like um, what you do for your work as well, how it's related to veganism, have you found that your friends and family jumped on board as well? Or did you find that there was more pushback around it and you were kind of like the lone wolf in your decision? Uh, I've been lucky, lucky in the fact that a lot of people in my life have, even though I definitely came out of the gates a huge hothead, a lot of people have kind of embraced my change in lifestyle. Um, many of my friends closest to me, even if they haven't made changes themselves, uh, have been incredibly there for me no matter how intense I got about it online and in person or otherwise. And uh, mm-hmm. that's been great. But I've also had a lot of people in my personal life who embrace more plant-based eating. A, lot, a number of my family, well, two of my family members at least did the same. And then I've had friends go vegan as well. Yeah. So that has been, I mean, it's a great thing to see. But I try not to be overly self-congratulatory about it because it's yeah. just kind of one small thing that we're all trying to do to yeah. be a little less destructive and yeah. there's still a lot to tackle. I don't, I kind of almost hesitate to use expressionally, by example, even though I already did because mm-hmm. I by no means have an environmentally, uh, an environmentally harmless lifestyle mastered. I'm just doing the best mm-hmm. that I can on a day-to-day basis. And for me, I, I try to, Avoid, the way I look at it is I try to avoid industries first and foremost that are by nature exploitive. So mm-hmm. it's very difficult to avoid any industry that causes any kind of suffering. But if I start with industries that require suffering, like require someone to die in order to bring a product to the table, then that's one step that I can take. Yeah, but, that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> so just doing the best that I can. Luckily, yeah. some yeah. have decided that they want to be more compassionate towards animals as well, which is, I think, a good thing at the end of the day, although there's a lot more to tackle. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like five years ago when you decided to become vegan, it was kind of like, was it an overnight change and you were like very, very passionate and to use your words, hot-headed about it at first? Yeah. So I'm a person of extremes. I acknowledge that most people aren't like that. So when I do something, I'll tend to go in like full force. And I was one of those people who said like, baby steps are for baby animals. Like (laughs) get on this today, you know, and I had that aggressive form of, well, not aggressive. I was, I always tried to be very compassionate, but especially as a woman, I think a lot of people read me as very in your face. Um, a lot of people would tell me I was yelling when I was speaking at the tone I'm speaking at now, things like that. Like just the verb, the words that I used to say what I wanted to say and the lack of tact and delicacy I used in delivering my message is the kind of advocacy that would have worked on me. Like I would have heard okay. it and been like, oh, yeah, you're right. But I am the exception. It won't work on 90 plus percent of people because that's mm-hmm. not how human psychology works. And most people aren't like that. Most people don't like 
that kind of confrontation. Most people aren't going to make this kind of change overnight. Uh, and that took me a while to kind of accept. And now I'm a big embracer of, you know, celebrating any change somebody makes. If they decide to start using non-dairy milk, sweet. If they decide to stop buying, you know, parts of certain animals to eat, that's amazing too. You know, anything that other people want to do, because I, I recognize that I'm not perfect in all of my choices. And that the best thing I can do is embrace and be positive and be as kind as I can to the people around me. But that was a that's lot. The transition. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was, I was a YouTuber when I first started and I was very kind of famously like famously not sugarcoating things. And I think that the people who enjoyed that content the most were other vegans because they felt validated by it. Mm -hmm. And and they liked to watch it because they were like, yeah, she's saying what I want to say. But <laughs> Which I wasn't is saying very what I human. Say. It's very human to learn something new and react strongly to it. Like I went through the exact same thing five years ago. I went vegan pretty much overnight and I was very emotional and uh, loud about it. <laughs> and um, yeah, I had to just kind of learn the hard way, just like what works with people and, uh, you know, what uh, what felt good, what made me sleep better at night in like forms of advocacy and just not having such a personal attachment to it, like feeling like you're responsible for sharing this information with this person and if they don't change their mind, then that's on you. It's like just kind of letting go a bit and like you said, just trying to cause less harm and mm -hmm. if you inspire people along the way, then that's a huge bonus and just to continue that journey of learning how to cause less harm, like even outside of veganism. Absolutely. So I totally can relate to that. <laughs> I didn't have a YouTube channel. Luckily, I feel like I would definitely <laughs> be like, cringing if I had any of that <laughs> on recording. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I, I came up across one of my, an external hard drive yesterday and my partner was actually asking to borrow one. And I was like, let me just make sure I wipe it first because there's going to be some weird stuff on here that I do not want to see. So yeah, just yeah, be lucky you don't have it on video. We're grateful, yeah. I guess. That's so funny. I definitely feel like the same way. Like I, I think we're going to become a more vegan world uh, very gradually. And if like there are things like convenience foods and having vegan options at fast food places that make it easier for someone to like choose a plant-based meal here and there, that will just kind of like maybe open their eyes to that. Like it is possible to not eat animals, um, but for everyone to kind of like come to that realization on their own maybe yeah. I don't know I I like I never really was well maybe when I like I first started as a vegetarian um and then like slowly transitioned to being vegan and I think I was only really like hard on my family and like pushing them to go vegan as well but I feel like um, yeah, not everyone is going to respond positively to, to, to that kind of, um, like, pressure. No, absolutely not. And another thing I've kind of learned along the way is that one of the things, I have a number of people in my life um, 
sort of family members and extended family members and stuff who have kind of embraced plant-based eating just from a level of, wow, this food's great. I like trying it. I like experimenting with the recipes. And you touched on the idea of convenience foods as well. Mm -hmm. I think that can be, food can be one of the greatest ways to, 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 um, kind of connect with people over this because the more mainstream it becomes, the better. I think that some of the main reasons why people don't, two of the very most central reasons why people don't embrace veganism is because they don't want to go against the grain. They don't want to deal with the social um, exclusion or pressure that comes with choosing not to eat animals, uh, which becomes less and is less depending on how you build your life and over time and stuff. And they, you know, find it difficult and inconvenient. And we have very emotional attachments to food, right? And the more we can kind of create like this joyous environment around food, have convenience foods available to people, have our markets sort of more saturated in it. And you see businesses in Vancouver who kind of, which kind of embrace that model, like the meat, so the series of meat restaurants, as well as Virtuous Pie, both of which are not kind of in your face about their veganism it's not necessarily on their marketing you kind of have to ask them to find out that their food's plant-based but that are so embraced by the community as a whole and have been so successful that they've been able to branch out into many many restaurants because they take these approachable well-known dishes and make them plant-based and i know we eat it all the time i eat it with the non-vegans in my life so and they love that because it's easy that way so it's non-confrontational just to kind of come together over food and uh, explore the ways that we can be less harmful in our choices there. Yeah, exactly. And it's not a huge ask to like, it's not like you're saying you can't have burgers anymore. If you go vegan, you can't have pizza anymore. If you go vegan, it's like you said, keeping those comfort foods and habits that you might have attachments to and just tweaking them, switching the ingredients to make them plant-based, which yeah, meat and virtuous pie they do such a great job at that. Their food is amazing. It's a lot easier to win people over with a mac and cheese pizza than it is with condemning their personal habits, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So is there anything that you're, like, working on or researching right now that you wanted to discuss? I mean... When it comes to Raise Vegan, the biggest thing we're kind of working on right now is we'll be releasing details about this over the next few days, but is um, releasing special resources to help families, uh, whether that's psychologically or practically in terms of how to function in um, a lockdown or informal and formal quarantines that we're okay. kind of seeing on the horizon. So a lot of resources around that, you know, how, how it relates to veganism. And we're just trying to do everything we can right now to support people through the pandemic, which at least in my mind is front of mind every day, all the time right now, because this is, you know, truly unprecedented. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're really able to wrap our heads around it. That's how unprecedented it is. So yeah, that's our main point of focus is doing everything that we can to kind of um, inject some positivity in the community, support Mm -hmm. people in their choices to live plant-based during this time and help families and kids function as time. And how can people find that information online? Like what's the Instagram and website for Raise Vegan? And if you have a personal one that you want to share as well. I actually don't at the moment. I recently disbarred myself or left all social media about uh, six to eight months ago. So that's been interesting. Uh, I'm still, I still use it professionally. So it is 
at Raised Vegan on Instagram. We are Raised Vegan on Facebook. We also have the, we're kind of hosts of the world's, the internet's largest vegan parenting and family community, which is Vegan Pregnancy and Parenting, the group on Facebook. We're well over 50K now, and that's a great resource for families, you know, during this time and all times looking for support in anything to do with parenting or veganism and plant-based eating. And then raisevegan.com. And we are a magazine sold. So in Canada, you can subscribe to it digitally. We are also sold in Barnes & Noble, Whole Foods, and Sprouts within the U.S., and we're available hard copy uh, by subscription in both the U.S. and the U.K., although we are putting a hold on that for now to protect mm -hmm. our staff members as well as postal workers and the recipients of people who would be the recipients of the magazines, but more details will be available on that soon. Okay, awesome. That's amazing. Um, and how have you been doing with the lockdown and the self-isolation? Like, do you have any tips for our listeners right now who might be struggling either like at home by themselves or with family? Like, I'm not sure what it is with your, in your case, um, but if you have anything you wanted to share on that. Okay, so my situation is a little bit complex in the fact that I'm also have ongoing medical issues and I am that I am trying to deal with through our hospitals here. I'm a new resident of BC and the medical system is fantastic, but obviously overburdened right now. So um, I, like a lot of other people, am kind of dealing with compounded stressors with the COVID crisis. I may also be immunocompromised. So there's an extra risk with leaving the house, etc. So I think it's a really good idea for everyone to kind of watch out for people in their lives who might be in similar situations or maybe carrying an extra burden right now. Um, I have spent a number of days in complete isolation, just me. So I think obviously what we're hearing a lot of is FaceTime, Skype, you know, call people as much as you can. I think that's been massively beneficial. Um, I know my partner and I have been spending a lot of time on FaceTime with our families and stuff. And we have, a collective game organized for tonight with uh, people from out of province. So that'll be awesome. Fun. Yeah. And then food. So locally, we obviously have food delivery services like Spud. And um, you can also use Instacart to order your groceries. I think definitely people do want to be staying home as much as possible. We are looking at a virus that can live on inanimate objects for as much as days hours to days at a time and that's you know we can't see it so it's hard for us to conceptualize that threat but if you do have the option the privilege to order groceries please do um and also be aware that if you have the means or the privilege to be able to order food by takeout that a lot of vegan businesses are still open among them being you know uh virtuous pie and meat both of which we spoke about earlier and a number of other ones uh locally last i checked chow veggie express was which is a personal yeah, favorite uh, i ordered chow the other day and it was so good <laughs> i live for that food it's basically the whole reason i moved to vancouver like yeah. that, the coconut <laughs> yeah. shake is the reason yeah. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. um yeah and you know do do i think we need to do our best to connect digitally and also be aware of other things people might be carrying i know there's also um this time you're going to be confronting for a lot of people with mental illness mm -hmm. so it's another thing to be aware of and uh know that a lot of cases even if you are plant-based there are going to be resources as we talked about earlier in the episode available to you in your community um wherever you happen to be based it's a good thing to look into because some uh, businesses are offering special resources uh 
some food banks have plant-based options and some people organizing drives for plant-based eaters as well. Shauna, did you have any other questions for her? I don't think so. We covered quite a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd love to have you on the show again um, at some point in the future and we can talk about hopefully post-COVID life, some other things that are going on in the vegan community. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'd be happy to join you anytime. Obviously, I have a lot to say about everything, yeah. so <laughs> I'm for it anytime. It was great meeting you both. Thank you so much for listening to Vegan Boss Radio. If you enjoy the show, be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review. We would really appreciate that. We've got a lot more episodes coming up and we will be releasing them weekly. So to stay in the loop and stay connected, you can find us on Instagram at vegan underscore boss. If you are looking for any support on your journey to going more plant-based or need help with your nutrition, you can find Shauna's information at synergynutrition.ca and on Instagram at synergy underscore nutrition. If you need any support with your business and personal branding or if you're starting a vegan-friendly business, you can find my information at meganmediadesign.com and on Instagram at meganmediadesign. If you have any questions for us, are interested in becoming a guest on the show, or are interested in any sponsorship opportunities, you can contact us at veganbossradio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening and being part of our Vegan Boss community.